0: alluded to the fact that we've been preaching through our vision and our values here at Iron City and even as Allison alluded to that this really is kind of the end or the culmination of our core values and our vision that every single thing that we do every move that we make every word that we speak every action that we take in and outside of the church would bring honor and glory to God. But we don't get there without starting with the other ones, do we? So we say we're going to start with the Word. We're going to be a church that is focused on the Word. As we've had conversations over the last months, we're going to scream where the Word screams, we're going to whisper where the Word whispers, and we're going to be silent where the Word of God is silent. We're going to love one another. This is not always easy. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, just to be honest, it's quite challenging at times to love one another. Because like me, not everyone is the easiest person in the world to love, to get close to, to gain information about so that we might love them. And then we're we're encouraging you and we're asking you to roll up your sleeves, really just to to dig in and get busy. And you each one are valuable and are needed for the work that is taking place here at Iron City and inside the kingdom of God. And if you're not serving and working and getting busy with the task that God has called us to, we need you to start actively participating in that. And then dining with sinners. If this is going to continue, then the lost world around us has to be reached, not with condemnation or not with contempt and not with ill will, but with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a glorious and wonderful thing that is working itself out in our day and time right now and has been since before time and will continue throughout eternity. It truly is the good news. And we're asking you to be engaged in the lives of the people around you, to enter into their lives so that they might see the gospel at work in you and they might hear the gospel explained through your speech. And as you do all of those things, we believe that you will be bringing glory to God in all things. Because that will encompass, it will overwhelm, it will absolutely take over every single aspect of your life bar none. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, as he writes to this church in Ephesus, he understands that much like the culture that we live in today, yeah you just thought we were going bad, we've been bad for a long time folks. Ephesus was rampant with paganism, with idolatry, with false worship, with ungodly, unspeakable acts. Things that were taking place in their temples and worship to Artemis and to others. I would not even begin to mention here in the presence of mixed company. That's what the world they were engrossed in and living in. And as Paul does the same thing to the church there at Ephesus, he encourages them, he urges them to give their life fully to the cause of Christ and to live every day for his glory and to bring him honor and praise. And as we walk through this text this morning, this is. What I believe Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, but also his encouragement to them that this is how you do what I'm going to put forward for you to do for the rest of the chapters. He understands that they are in the midst of turmoil. He understands that they are in the midst of battle. And he is not forgetting that everything that they are facing and everything that they are going through is brought up on them by the enemy all because they are partakers in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and are attempting to live within the kingdom of God in the midst of a dying and decaying world. And Paul brings to us what I believe should be words of encouragement, words of strength. Aaron, how do I live out these core values? How do I walk through them and understand them and know them? When everything in the world is coming at me, when all the fiery darts of the enemy are being hurled at me, what do I do? Well, I believe that brings us to the text. If you would, stand with me as we read God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, writes this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. So at this point in the book or the letter, the epistle of Ephesians, we come to Paul's third sentence. Yes, the opening remarks are one sentence, verses 3 through 14 are one sentence, and then verses 15 through 23 are one sentence. And for all of you English majors or English teachers, I'm sorry for that. (laughs) It does give us fits, doesn't it? I understand Paul's problem. I don't quite grasp your issues at the moment. Cody can tell you. But he comes to this text... And as he's writing to the church of Ephesus, and this really is a very encouraging letter. So not only do you have this blessing that Paul is known for in the majority of his epistles, he moves also from this blessing to an encouragement and a thanksgiving for them that is much more extended than any other passage that we see Paul write as far as having this dual role here. So he's emphasizing and encouraging and strengthening the church by drawing them back. He says, for this reason. This for this reason is pointing backwards and forwards. But when we look at what it's pointing back to, you have to understand that verses 3 through 14 that do comprise the second sentence of the epistle really are just a glorious masterpiece of writing that tells us of our adoption, of our choosing, of our blessed salvation, of the forgiveness of sins, that we are an inheritance people, that we have an inheritance through the gospel, that Christ has come. And picking up in verse 11, it says, "...in Him we have obtained obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might... Be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Paul is reminding them of the beauty and the wonderful nature and the glorious aspect of their salvation that comes only through God sending his Spirit to call them to his Son, Jesus Christ, who died faithfully on the cross so that he might bring honor and glory to God and in doing so offered forgiveness for our sins. And when we believed in that, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that beautiful promise of sealing is one that we hold on to in hope now and forever. And all of this was not done for the church of Ephesus. It was not done for the church at Iron City. It was done for the glory of God and for his church and his called out people universally. For this reason, because of the glorious salvation that you have, I have heard of your faithfulness in the Lord. I have heard of your faith. Paul has been... Brought into the loop, if you will. He's been reminded of the faith of the people at Ephesus. He's been reminded of the things that they have done. He's, been, he's seen and he's heard the reports of what's going on there in Ephesus. And it all starts with their faith in the Lord. Their faith in who God is and what he has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like Jesus... Paul understands that when we have faith in God and a love for him that is overwhelming, that is going to be so naturally and evenly poured out to those around us. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints. You see, Paul comes to this conclusion that it is through faith. And if you read much of what Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says in Romans chapter 10 that it's by faith that we, it's by the word that we come to faith. Right? And so the word we see mixed in here has brought us to the point of faith. And that faith has brought us into a love with God and a love for Jesus Christ. And that love for him has poured out into loving those around us because it's just natural for the disciples of Jesus. For the saints, that's us who have collectively believed to put our faith and trust in, in God and the work of Christ in our lives for our eternal salvation. That the that disciples of Jesus would naturally love one another. He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. So it's not stopping with a few. Why would we emphasize in our core values loving one another? Because Jesus does. He says, love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. Oh, and the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says that I've heard of what you're doing and your love for God is working itself out. Because remember what Cody preached last week in the book of James. Paul says... I heard of your faith in the Lord. What has he heard of? He's heard of their actions. He's heard of their works. He's heard of their deeds. He's heard of the things that they are doing to bring honor and glory to God. He's heard of the manifesting of their faith in actions. And as we do that, we must pour out God's love toward all the saints. This is why we believe in a covenant commitment in membership in our church. This is why we ask those who are seeking to join in our church that we would covenant together so that we would make an outright, forthright commitment to one another as saints of God. You see, he's distinguishing them from all of the other false religions that are there. He's distinguishing them. He's setting them apart from all of the other things that are happening, all of the other religions, all of the other idol worship that's going on. And he's bringing them back to their faith in God. And he's saying, as you do that, it's going to work itself out in love for the saints. That's not what's taught in all those other false religions. He's saying it's not just love for you. It's not just love for God. It's love for God that's going to pour itself out in your love for the saints. We ask that you would love one another. And then Paul demonstrates this by saying, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Wouldn't it be great to have the Apostle Paul praying for us? Well, as great as that would be, let me encourage you. The Spirit of God that resided in Paul is the same Spirit of God that resides in you and resides in me. And so when we pray, we have the same Spirit interceding on our behalf at, with the Son who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We don't need Paul to pray for us. We need you to pray for each other. That's right. That's right. Amen. We, as elders, need to be exceptionally, uh, exceedingly leading in the act of praying for you as a congregation and as saints in the body of Christ. And I believe we strive to do that. We don't just say the words, write down your prayer request so that we can pray for you so that you feel good about us. We actually give of our time and spend time interceding on your behalf before the Father. And Paul says, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. So Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. He's interceding on their behalf. So he's shown for this reason, because of your works, because of your faith, because of what you've done for your neighbor, I've heard of you. I don't cease to give thanks for you. I thank God for you. Let me ask you the question, when's the last time you thanked God for the congregation of believers that you sit in right now? When's the last time you thanked God For the people that have gathered together to worship God as the body of Christ at Iron City Baptist Church. You know why it reminds us of this? Because when we are taking time out of our schedules to thank God for one another. It's much more difficult to condemn one another. It's more difficult to speak ill will of one another. It's meant to encourage us and to strengthen us. To glorify God in your relationships with one another as you pray and give thanks for one another. Remembering in my prayers, remembering you in my prayers. What does he remember? It's not just that we pray for you. We lift up your... We, Paul lifts up this congregation. There's a specific thing, There are specific things that he wants them to know that he is praying for them about. He's remembering them before the Father. So that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He says, because of the glorious salvation that you have, the spirit which seals you, I am praying that the Father would enlighten you to the truth of his word and the greatness of his kingdom. I'm praying that God the Father would give you all wisdom. Wisdom is nothing unless it is lived out. I'm I'm praying that God would give you wisdom to work out, to, to live out the salvation that he has bestowed upon each one of us. I pray this morning that God would give you the wisdom to work out the salvation that God has so richly bestowed upon you and if you don't know that glorious salvation by the end of the text today I pray that you will long for it in such a way that it will run you down this aisle to have a conversation with one of our pastors and let them walk you through the word of God and how it is that you might come to know him and be sealed by the spirit and enter into such a glorious Glorious and wonderful relationship with him. But he prays that because they have been enlightened, that the Father would send the Spirit to give them wisdom, to understand, to give him the knowledge of Him because the more we know of God, the more we love God, the more we love God, the more we long to know about God and the more we long to know about God, about God, the more we learn about God, the more we learn about God, the more we love God and do you see the circle that keeps spinning and it starts as this little bitty ball of faith in our hearts and it grows and it expounds and it begins to overwhelm our life in every single aspect and category to where at some point nothing, nothing is beyond the reach of the Spirit. We've stopped quenching the Spirit and moved into a life lived of loving the Spirit and loving the relationship. And then he he breaks this down even further into a couple of more categories. He says that you may know what is the hope which he has called you. This is the past tense of our salvation. That we may know the hope that he has called you. That we can look back and we can know that I was a dirty, rotten, no-good scoundrel, bent and determined to spend my life in the hell, dead in my trespasses to sin. And God reached down into the depths of where I was and he brought me up into the glorious light and he placed me in his glorious kingdom and in his hand. And then he sealed me with the Spirit of God so that I might know and be assured that I can rest there forever. And it is hope for the past. It is hope knowing that when I look back on my life, no matter where I came from, No matter if I was a dirty, rotten five-year-old, 25-year-old, 45-year-old, or 65-year-old. I was the same dirty, rotten, no-good scoundrel, bent and bound and determined to spend my life eternally in hell. And God reached down and drug each one of us up. Not one of us did it on our own. Not one of us pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps. Not one of us accomplished our salvation in our own working, in our own longing. It was the Spirit of God that the beginning of this book really opens up that second sentence there that really kind of lays out that God looked down. He chose you from the very beginning of time. It says in verse 3 of this chapter, "...but for the foundation of the world..." He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. God has been working and moving to draw you to himself from the very beginning. And now he wants you to see the hope that is there. So how am I going to live in the midst of turmoil? How am I going to live in a world that is falling apart where our political system seems to be going so ridiculously crazy that no side even wants to claim what's happening? Well, I'm going to trust in the hope That God brought into my life through salvation. As he was working that salvation from beginning to end. And I'm going to believe that that hope is not going to die. Which moves us into the future understanding of our salvation. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now notice in the first part of this chapter we were inheriting. In this part of the chapter he says. His the Father's glorious inheritance in the saints. Not only does our salvation through Jesus Christ bring with it the blessings and the glory of being in relationship with God the Father and having the Spirit indwell our hearts and our lives It means that God Himself deemed us by the blood of Jesus as worthy to be inherited by Him. This begs us to go back to the Old Testament when. God, as Yahweh is speaking to Israel, and He over and over and over again tells them that they are His people, that they are His possession, that they are His inheritance. You see, it's not just for Israel anymore. And praise God, it is for us. And one day, The future of our salvation, because of the working of God in the past, is going to mean that we're going to spend eternity with Him as His inheritance, living in the relationship that He has brought upon our lives. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it exciting to know what God has done for you? Isn't it exciting to know that one day what God will accomplish in your life? Bringing you into eternity with him. Living eternally in the, in the, the fully worked out kingdom of God for eternity. What a peaceful life of bliss and excitement and worship and glory that will be. Living face to face. Seeing God the Father. That's going to be a glorious time. But that time's not right this second, is it? I don't know about you, but there's stuff going on in my life that's difficult to deal with on a regular basis. It's not all fun and games and roses, is it? And it's great to understand where God has brought me from and that he has deposited me and placed me right here and what he has done in my life. But sometimes I put the blinders on and I forget what he's done. And I know that hope is coming, but sometimes it's difficult to see that hope. It seems so far away. That tunnel is dark and the light at the end is really dim. And that leaves me right in the midst of darkness and decay and a world that is falling apart around me. And I believe that probably many of you are right there right now. We know for a fact that right now we have loved ones here in our congregation who have just lost parents. We have those who are preparing to lose parents. We have those who are going through all kinds of things that we don't even know. We have those that are in pain on a continual basis to where they can't hardly even move and get out and socialize. We have those who are, who are so longing and ready to go home to be with the Father that that's their prayer on a daily basis. Father, take me home. That's the reality of this world and the reality of the life that we have. But in verse 19, in Paul's prayer, he offers some encouragement to the church at Ephesus. He says this, because that same encouragement is going to come to you and to I. He says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus? You see, verse 19 really is kind of one of those odd verses in in the Greek that... He, he really just kind of seems to be so much moving and striving and trying to make a point that he just kind of piles on these words to make us understand that there is power and there is might and there is glory and there is strength and there is something that's going to absolutely overcome everything in God through the salvation that he has already brought into our lives. You see verse 19, he just keeps saying these things over and over again. These are synonyms. They're they're not moving in a different direction. They're trying to just pile one phrase on top of another so that we get it. That God's greatness of his power toward, he's great, he's powerful, and he's working in his great might. Because it took all of that to accomplish what he's done in the past. Right? Right? It took God's great, might, it took the mighty hand of God because he's the only one who could have accomplished in your life and in my life what he has already accomplished. And he is the only one who, who has the ability to even dream of accomplishing, bringing all of it to culmination in his kingdom for his own glory and for his own purpose. But then he comes to you in the midst of right now, living out your salvation in the midst of everything that's going on. And he wants to remind you of the power and the greatness of the God that you say you have surrendered your life to. There is none greater. And beginning in verse, after verse 19, beginning in verse 20, he starts... He worked in Christ Jesus to raise him from the dead. It is the power and the might and the strength and the sheer greatness of God that brought Jesus from death out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. But he did not stop there. And that's the glorious thing. He moved him from the grave. He brought him back to life. But then he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. It wasn't enough for God just to raise him from the dead. He enthroned him. He enthroned him beside him, pulls him in the ascension up into heaven with him, and sits him at the right hand of the Father to show that he is great and mighty. If you would turn with me back. To the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 110. To so Paul, does not want us to forget the mighty works of God, that he is his immeasurable greatness, his great might. That he's been working in. And he did this and he brought Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places. And it makes us draw ourselves back to the book of Psalms in Psalm chapter 100 and Psalms 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion. Your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning and the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn... we see that before all of this is taking place, that God himself is declaring through the psalmist that one day the King of kings and the Lord of lords will be seated at the right hand of the Father and every enemy will be placed in submission to him and placed as a footstool under him so that he might rest his feet upon them because the work is completed. He is demonstrating over and over and over again his power. And so he raises Christ from the dead and he doesn't stop there. He seats him at the right hand of the Father. And it is far above. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. When we've talked about spiritual warfare over the last several weeks. We want you to understand the reality of the battle that is raging all around you. It's a reality that These things that are taking place that we don't see, that we don't fully comprehend, we don't fully understand. There's a battle in the spiritual world that is raging and yet we might not see it but I can guarantee you we're feeling the implications of it in our day-to-day lives. It's having an impact on you and what he's saying here to bring hope and glory and praise to God but also to bring hope To the people at Ephesus and to you and to myself. He says he's placed Jesus at the right hand of the Father. He's placed him above every authority. Every ruler. Every power. Every dominion. When we place and put on our spiritual uh, armor... We know that we're not going into battle alone. We know that we're not entering into the fight by ourselves. We understand that it's not really even by our power that we are able to do so and enter into the fight that is before us. It is only because we serve the one who rules and is all and is over all. And he has placed him above every name that is named. Get this not only now but for eternity not only now but for eternity in every age to come jesus christ will still reign as King seated at the right hand of the Father, given a name that is above every name, given authority and dominion that surpasses every other authority and every other dominion that we could ever imagine. You know, it goes back to Matthew chapter 28. When he calls his disciples right before he is ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, he says, all authority has been given unto me. It's all been given to me, he says. And he will put all things under his feet. And he gave him his head over all things. Now do you see the magnificent picture of Christ that is brought out in these passages? Do you see how he's uplifting Christ as he's raised from the dead, as he's seated at the right hand, as he's given power, as he's given a name, as he's placed his head over everything? Everything is pointing to the glory and the greatness of Jesus. We don't want you to leave here today without understanding that Jesus is greater than anything and everything that is going on in your life, anything and everything that has gone on in your life, and anything and everything that will go on in your life. And if you even want to come close to having the ability to deal with and overcome what this life throws at you, the only way to do that is through faith in him. As he calls and his spirit moves, surrendering your life to him. Because what the scriptures is going to tell us is that he's already in charge of everything. Now it's time for us to submit. It's time for us to give our lives to him. It's time for those of us who've been waiting on the sidelines to join in on the fight. Because you see, not only is he the head of all of those things, he's also the head of the church. Now that's where he goes next. He's the head of the church, which is the body of... The body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the one who controls the church. Christ is the one who should be leading the church. Christ is the one who is in charge of the church. Christ is the one who brings authority and sovereignty into the church. Christ is the head and we are his under shepherds as elders. And we collectively are his saints called to serve him. But he is the head over the church. If that's the case, if Christ is head of the church, then should his church not look like him? Should his church, not in everything she does, point toward him? Should his church, in everything that it does, not bring honor and glory to his name? Should his church not be the most loving, caring place in the world for people to gather? And in his church, shouldn't we, as saints of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ, understand That what he is head over is the church and that we are the church. Not only is Christ head corporately of us, universal church, corporately as us, Iron City Baptist Church, the expression of the universal church in the local community, but he is head over us individually as we come together as the body of Christ to make up the church. So all of those things we just said, should we not look more like Christ in our day-to-day living? Should we not be the most loving and caring and compassionate people around? Should we not be the one that everyone wants to engage with? Should we not be the ones that are actively seeking to pour out God's love to the world around us? You are the body of Christ. That means that you're needed. Just get the analogy. Just get the illustration that he's pointing to here. As we've come together as the body of Christ, every part is needed. If you don't have to have, if you don't need your appendages, if you don't need your organs, if you don't need all of the parts of your body... To properly function in the world around you. Yeah, we do, don't we? We desperately need each and every one to be actively engaged in receiving the power of God and acting upon the power that He has placed in our lives through the salvation, as rich and glorious as it is through Jesus Christ. We must be living it out. Each one of us is needed. Each one of us should be longed for. Each one of us should be missed. Who's going to take up your mantle when you fall? Who's going to come behind you? A better question, a better way to ask that is, who are you discipling? So that one day when God calls you home, someone is there to stand in the gap and to push forward the cause and the kingdom of God for eternity until such a time as Christ decides to return prompted by the Father and bring all this to one failing swoop of culmination and completion. And I want you to understand that we beg you, we encourage you, we ask you, we plead with you to enter into the fight, to come, to serve, to work, to roll up your sleeves, to love one another, to dine with sinners, to start with the word, to do everything in your life for the glory of God, because this passage reminds us that you have been given and granted everything you need to do so. You have been entrusted with the Spirit of God that has sealed you and brought you to life. And because of that, the power that resides in Him is also the power that resides in you because the church is the body of Christ, but also it is the fullness of Him that fills all in all. The church has the power of Christ to accomplish the task that God has given it in the world today. We're not lacking anything. Don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. You're not missing anything. You've already been strengthened. You've already been encouraged. You've already been bought with a price. You've already been entrusted with the power of Christ himself to accomplish the task. But Iron City Baptist Church needs you. The kingdom needs you. In one aspect, I'm speaking here to those who are members of this local body of Christ. We do take membership as a significant issue. We need you to serve with us. If you're not faithfully serving somewhere in this congregation, we desperately need you to. Because you're a part of the body, and if you're not serving in the body, that means whatever your responsibility is, somebody's having to pick up the slack. You know, when my back hurts because there's a problem, the rest of my body hurts. When my right hand won't do what it's supposed to do, my left hand gets really tired. When my right knee's not acting right, and I'm in the midst of the fight, my left knee gives out. We desperately need each one of you and let me be even more clear you desperately need us because if, if we believe that these are scriptural mandates and you're not doing them that's sin and your private sin impacts this body no matter what it is if you're a member of this church, your private sin is impacting this body of Christ. And we need you to begin working through that and sorting that out. And we're here to help you. A matter of fact, today as I see the Lord's table set before us, there's no better day than today than to come back to the body and repent. And move forward in service to the kingdom of God forever. And in a way, I'm talking to those of you who sit here on a regular Sunday morning, every week, or most weeks, willing to attend our services, willing to do our things, but unwilling to commit to this body through covenant membership. I'm going to make a statement. I don't want to be harsh and I don't want to be rude, but I want to be honest. We are in no way looking for long-term attenders of Iron City Baptist Church. We are looking for covenant members who will faithfully serve beside us because there's too much at stake. The battle is raging, and we don't need onlookers. We need workers. We don't need people watching the battle. We need soldiers to engage the battle. And I say that with all the love and humility that I possibly can muster. Not to offend but to tell you where we really are. We need your covenant commitment to this church. I speak to those who don't know Christ. If you want to experience the power of God in your life, then you must faithfully surrender your life to Him through faith in Christ. Counting the cost, that it's going to cost you everything and it's going to dramatically challenge and change everything you have and everything that you are. But come at this time of invitation and let us show you what the gospel can do in your life. If you've been considering this church for membership, come. Come. Let's start walking through that process of serving together. If you've been failing to act out the covenant commitment that you've already made to this church, come and repent of that. And let's move forward together as a unified body of Christ, empowered by God through the Son, Jesus, and equipped and sealed and strengthened by the Spirit. I'm going to close today by reading our church covenant because this is what we're asking you to do. We believe that taking part in doing this will glorify God in everything that you do. The church covenant of Iron City Baptist Church states this Thanking God for the light we have received and for the revelation of Jesus Christ. Which we now enjoy and believe that God, for Christ's sake... Oh, it's not about you. ...has pardoned our sins and having been baptized upon a profession of our faith in Christ Jesus... ...into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do... Before God and the world, with deep joy and great solemnity, enter into into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. In all things, we commit ourselves to start with the word, love one another, roll up our sleeves, dine with sinners, and glorify God in things. Moreover, out of love for our Savior and his bride, we commit that whenever or if ever we remove from this local family of believers, we will, as soon as possible, unite with another local church to live out the worthy mission of Jesus. Will you covenant together with us? Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning.